standing next to Brooks, I feel like a really old guy. And, and that's not a bad thing, because I'm actually, there are aspects of growing up that I've, I've really begun to enjoy. I don't take things as seriously as I used to, and it's making life a lot easier. You know, I get stuck in traffic, and I just find myself saying, what do we do at this time? And, and whereas, like, 20 years ago, I'd have been angry about it. Now it's been kind of a time where I just kind of have learned to roll with the punches a little better. But I loved being a youth pastor. And one of the things about being a youth pastor that was great was this role I had as youth pastor slash bus driver. Let me tell you how this works. Uh, We got a bus when I was in my second year of youth ministry at this church. And the church I was attending was what they call a comeback church. It was like right on the brink. It was an older church that had almost died. And then this really vibrant pastor came in. He He is still one of my chief mentors in life. And he you know, he kind of breathed new life. He was an exciting, kind of visionary, catalytic leader, and people swarmed around him. But he still had all these older people who, and not by virtue of their age, but just by virtue of the way they did things, they, they, they didn't think like he thought. Then he moved on, and in my second year of youth ministry, the church he was attending, which was this large church, the church he was leading now in Miami, which was this large church that had multiple buses, Out of love for our church, they gave us a bus. So I got a bus license, and and I was able to take our kids on youth trips and all those kinds of fun things. And somewhere during that first year, this coalition of youth pastors that I was part of in Tallahassee, Florida, we were all friends. One of them came to me and said, hey, listen, uh, we don't have the money to get a bus to take our kids to camp. Is there any way that, um, you know, you would consider lending us your bus or... Uh, you yourself driving us to camp. And I thought, what a great way to encourage another church in Christ to come alongside, to help them in some way. And I went to these older elders who'd been there for years, and I said, this is an opportunity I have with the bus is to help uh, this church that a friend of mine is a youth pastor of here in town get all their kids to camp to hear the gospel for a week. And the response that they gave was, Why would we use our bus to help another church? That was the mentality. Why would we use our bus? Why would we use our youth pastor's time when we've got needs right here at home? It was a a disappointing and startling start to a ministry career. It potentially is one of the reasons I didn't want to get involved in church as a pastor in the first place anyway, and it's why a lot of people have quit going to church. As there seems this major conflict between the way the church is supposed to function and the way often it actually does function. And I have said on a number of occasions that people that think that the people are against organized religion misunderstand the discontent, the rub. They're, 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 they're offended by organized religion Uh, in their minds, but it's really disorganized religion and dysfunctional religion that is problematic to them. The the question at the heart, when a church has a, a bus that was given to them, mind you, they didn't purchase this with their own money, or a group of people are given access to a facility like this, or a group of people are given unbelievable riches and resources is, why did God give those things to you in the first place? Are they just for you? Or are they potentially primarily for others? See, there's a, 
there's a giving principle, and I'm going to go through a couple of them this morning, but the one that Jesus speaks of is that there's more joy and more blessing in giving than receiving. For most of us in just about every area of our life, whether it's our time, whether it's our treasure, whether it's our talent, we are challenged to believe whether or not that is true. We have a limited supply of whatever that is you think you have that is valuable. Then you have to ask yourself, if I give this to other people, will there really be more blessing and joy than if I keep it for myself? This is the temptation. So a church that is given a bus, uh, if their mentality is very selfish and very, there is no joy in being a blessing to other people and giving away what we have, then they really are robbing themselves. They're robbing themselves of this amazing opportunity to experience joy, experience thrill, experience blessing from God because they just couldn't trust Jesus and take him at his word that there is functionally more joy in giving away your stuff than keeping it. Do we really believe this? Naturally, not so much. I think all of us have to admit that. The beauty of the gospel is we don't have to fear admitting that's true for ourselves. The gospel that we proclaim here at PRISM is we've been made okay with Christ right now. There's nothing else we have to do to make him love us or accept us. We are there. And because that's true, we're free to look at some of the parts of us that are less attractive. We're free to say, you know what? I don't trust Jesus. I'd like to. I want to now begin to trust him, but I'm going to need his grace to do that. I'm going to need his grace to take a first step to saying, okay, what does it mean? How do I do this? His stuff is, my stuff is his to do with what he wants, can I really trust him? We are selfish by our broken nature. We look out for number one. Therefore, we believe as a church why we exist, and we are concluding vision month here at PRISM. So if you're here, congratulations. You are at the end of vision month. And at the end of vision month, we say, as we've said every week, and that is, if believers aren't revived in their daily connection and enthusiasm for their relationship with God, they are never really going to get on to the other two components of the vision of our church. And we think it's a biblical vision that we would reach friends. And then today I want to talk about what it means for us to renew culture. Prism exists to revive believers, to reach friends, and renew culture. We've talked about that. If you haven't heard these messages, you can go online and catch up. For, for us, we are saying that a daily walk with Jesus will help us to grow and trust him so that we can reach friends, so that we desire to be a part of renewing culture. Here's a giving principle that's got, gotten distorted by the religious world in which some people live. Uh, and you can usually see this on a, some kind of televangelist network. This is the scripture, and I want to tell you then how they've kind of twisted it and really, in its context, what it means. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The way this passage of scripture has been distorted by people who may or may not be our brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know them to know, they would certainly claim to be, but ways, a way that they have gotten off track with this particular verse is by saying, this is a verse that is primarily about how you and I can amass and accumulate wealth. We know from reading other scriptures that Jesus discourages us from building barns of our own supply because tomorrow could be our last day on earth and we want to make sure we invest all we can in as much of eternally valuable things as conceivably possible. We know as well that Jesus is saying that there are going to be people in life that don't have this enormous supply of seed and there are going to be others that do. This passage is primarily about the church's responsibility to be generous with its things. In the context, it's about how this church has been amazingly helpful to other churches that were less fortunate. And that if they continued to be this generous, God was going to continue to give them resources to give to other people. So even if you wanted to argue, as some do, that this is some kind of miracle passage for how you can build wealth, I would say that the entire reason is pretty easily seen for why you would build that wealth. It would be so that you could be generous on every occasion. So if this is some mechanism by which you, a person of great resources, can build more resources, understand something. God's expecting you to give that stuff away. He's expecting you to say, not, now I've got a bunch of crud, I'm going to keep it and it's going to fuel my life. He's saying, now I'm going to discover at a deeper level that the more I give away, the more joy I'm going to experience. This is the radical mentality of the Christian life. This is the mindset that Jesus is calling us to. I got an amen from this guy. Pretty excited about that. This is a Pentecostal church. We just didn't know that. Seriously, we, we find ourselves at a crossroads as believers to say, is Jesus right <laughs> or, or, or not? Can we trust him or not? Is he enough or do we need the stuff too? The mentality, if you will, the mindset of the world, that, that would say, you know, take care of number one. You need this stuff. And as a church... We've been called to renew culture, renew culture through generosity. And what, this, what we mean by renewing culture at PRISM is this is our collective effort. Uh, as both as individuals in the world and a church that composes the body of Christ, we are trying by his grace, when we say renew culture, we mean we are making Jesus visible through our actions. That through what we do, through what we do collectively, through what we do individually in our varying vocations, that the goal is that people would see Jesus in us. Those works include our mercy ministry to those in need and our individual vocational efforts in all of life, depending on what you do. These vocational efforts are as varied as the colors of the spectrum. And this, week, this month, we've been working with this image of the prism, the light, Jesus, works through a church, and out of that church comes people who do all sorts of things to bring the beauty of Christ to culture. 
They do all sorts of gifts, and it's not all people who are missionaries or pastors. You could be an actor, you could be a writer, you could be a plumber, you can be a pharmacist, you can be any number of things. We got a horticulturist in our church, a master horticulturist. All of these things paint the picture of the beauty of God. God is the author of who we are and how we are gifted. And when we are operating in those gifts, his creative genius and beauty are seen. When you're doing that which God has wired you to do, when you have found, if you want to call it, his will for your life, and that is what he's wired you to do, what he's made you to do, what he's created you to do, and you are walking with him, there is a natural flow to that that is wonderful to experience. It's a giving away of your life. It's saying, my life is not my own. This passage today that we're going to look at about renewing culture gives us some insight into how we actually are to go forward as both a church, a collective here at this location, a gathering, and as individuals. So let's look at the passage today from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8 again. The first thing I'll share with you is this. We must be renewed in order to reflect Christ. There must be a renewing of our minds, a renewing of our hearts. If we're going to reflect the glory of Christ in our culture, there has to be a renewal that takes place. Let me read again from Romans chapter 12. This is verses 1 through 3. Therefore, and we've always said, whenever you got a therefore in the context of the passage, there is something that has gone before it. This is the concluding statement. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to all of one of, every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. The writer clearly has in his mind the intention of helping you and I to think we are moving into the presence of God. There's a tabernacle, there's a temple picture here. When a person would bring a sacrifice to God in the Old Testament, he would bring a, a dead sacrifice. He would actually bring an animal that had been sacrificed, or he'd bring the animal that was living, and he would actually present it, and it would be sacrificed at that point. So what we're trying to capture here is the author's intent, the Apostle Paul saying that you are coming to this holy God. You are walking into the, uh, into, uh, by, it should be by awe, in awe of him, you should be saying, I'm walking into the presence of God. And he's saying, present your life as a sacrifice. But it's not one that will be dead. It's a living, it's an ongoing sacrifice. And the old adage is, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And this is the struggle of the Christian life. We are continually called to bring ourselves to him. D.A. Carson, a great theologian, says this. Paul encourages us to look at our entire Christian lives as acts of worship. It is not just what is done on Sundays in a church building that ascribes worth, which is effectively the definition of worship, but what God and the world see in us every day and in every moment of the week. As 
Our minds are renewed. The scriptures say you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is an ongoing experience with God's grace. And we then are compelled not to conform to the pattern of this world. And this is the admonition of Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Well, what's the pattern of this world? It is take care of number one. The pattern of this world is I am selfish. The survival of the fittest. It's all about me. This is the pattern of our sinful nature. It is in our hearts and our broken minds. All about me, possessing my stuff, keeping people from injuring me, keeping people from harming me. I'm going to self-protect. I'm going to barricade my life. This is, this is the pattern of the world. And Paul's saying, by grace, and by a continual experience with his mercy, we're going to be renewed in our minds and change the way we see the world around us. This is effectively what we're called to as believers, to reflect the character of Christ to reflect the holiness of Christ. If you're a child of God, the, the will of God for you, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, is that you would walk in all that you would do as to serve him and say, my life is yours to use. Whatever you're calling me to do in this life, I know that your ultimate will is that I would reflect the character and love of Jesus in all that I do. And we speak of God's grace so much around here because we need it, not just to become a Christian, but to live daily in this experience of, Jesus, I want to experience you and know you and know that in you, you love me, I'm complete. But then I, in order to do that, I've got to be able to know the presence of your spirit, and then I've got to go out into the culture and be your renewing force. They've got to see me knowing and experiencing you. And so the compulsion we have to reflect his attributes, to reflect his character in the culture is so that he would be seen. We have to be renewed, though, in our mind. We have to be renewed in our spirit. That is why the Christian experience requires a conversion. We are not naturally led to take care of others or to give of our things the Spirit of God, and you can see in the first two verses, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In view of God's mercy. So we are constantly saying, okay, if what motivates us to give our lives again and again in living sacrifice to God is His mercy, we have to talk about that a lot, a lot, a lot. We have to talk about His mercy all the time. Because if we don't, We'll get locked into this idea that we're somehow or another trying to earn him, trying to earn his affections, trying to, trying to do something that will somehow or another make our lot in life better. It gets all distorted. This all takes place in the context of a soul that has been made new, a soul that has been born again, brought to life, the spirit of the Lord living in you. And we're called to renew our commitment not to try to earn his love, but to please him in our relationship with him. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8 is another really good long section of scripture. Uh, the passage says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasure. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs of the hope having eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. See, the idea is you and I have been rescued by his mercy. There was a pattern in our life, and it manifested itself for different people in different ways. For some of us, that selfishness manifests itself in rebellious behavior. For others of us, it it manifests itself in passive behavior, not caring for others. So the religious person and the irreligious person are both responsible to come to God and say, my life has to be, in response to your mercy, living for you, that you would be seen in me. Your life, my life, they're not our own. We didn't make ourselves. We didn't create the gifts within ourselves. We have to experience a renewal of our mind that says, you know what, I'm God's. I'm God's to use as he would see fit. And when I am being used as he sees fit, I'm experiencing a joy that he intended me to experience in the first place. The the behavior, the actions, all those things, they are to reflect the glory of Christ. My mom and dad are on a vacation, this cruise. They are both 79 this year. And so uh, they've finally done this Mediterranean slash cruise all the way through Europe. It's, It's a pretty great experience. And my mom's fascinated with of the technology of the iPhone. She's sending me pictures every day. And one of the things she did, which I love, is she sent me this picture from Rothenburg Square in Germany. And this is a picture of one of the houses in this place. I don't know if you've heard of this particular part of that world. But the first thing I said when I saw this was, this looks like a gingerbread house. And then I thought to myself, wait a second. This is what spurred the creation of the gingerbread house. See, in my mind, I got it all twisted around where, hey, they built this thing to look like a gingerbread house. Isn't that crazy? Because what do I know? I'm from the United States. We don't build houses like this. You know, if we built a house here, we probably would have built it based on a gingerbread house. But the gingerbread house, and we see these at holiday time, which I love so much, uh, you know, they, they are to point us to the original source The gingerbread house is supposed to make us say, oh, do you remember those quaint days in Europe when they used to build houses like this? See, in so many times in our lives, we get it twisted around that we are to, uh, that God is here to help make us look good. (laughs) And friends, it's the other way around. When we experience the joy of renewal in Christ, our life becomes about making him look good. He becomes the center of the universe. The transformation and the renewal of our minds is us saying, you know what? This isn't all about me. I am the gingerbread house. I can be easily crushed. (laughs) I can uh, not support life. I'm just a picture of something that is so much more grand that people desperately need. And so as individuals, Renewing culture, whether it's in your job as a repair person or a nurse, think of the picture of God's glory associated with being a healthcare worker. 
I mean, the, the loving, caring, repairing grace of God, it's manifesting in your vocation. You say, I'm an artist. What does that have to do? Are you kidding me? If you're walking with Jesus and you're creating art, the world was created by the best artist you could ever imagine. The intricate details. See, all of those things point to the glory of God. I don't know what you do. Do you coach? I have some friends who coach at the collegiate and professional level. I mean, what an amazing picture of God's grace gathering people together, encouraging them, challenging them to be the best they can be, loving them, supporting them. The reason I get along with coaches so well because it looks so much like pastoral ministry. Just with the joy of getting to, you know, hurt people in football and that kind of stuff, you know, but I don't get to do that, but it's, it's similar. You and I are called to reflect the glory and attributes of Christ and it's only possible if we've seen and experienced him ourselves. Second thing I'll share with you from this passage, verses four through eight, is not only are we renewed, we must be renewed in order to reflect Christ, we must be reunited in order to renew culture. The body of Christ, the church of Jesus, has to be united, and in many ways reunited, because the the goal of creation was not to create a bunch of individuals, it was to create a community that collectively could reflect the glory of God. And I want to use a brief 30 seconds to tell you that over the next month, Brooks and I are going to share the pulpit and teach through a series that was really based in a book that we both read about the necessity, the beauty of seeing God in the community of believers. The the series title is Better Together. And that is that life is supposed to be lived as a collective. We are not individuals living our individual lives. That was not how we were created. So for us to experience the kind of joy, for us to be able to participate in renewing culture, there has to be an aspect to our life that says, I am part of a body of believers, an organism that is doing something to reflect that same glory of God. The passage says this, verses four through eight. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Did did you hear that? I mean, I could roll over this thing, but think of that. I belong to you. you. You belong to me. If you're a part of a particular church, and I'm not saying if you're not at our church, you don't get weird on me. You know, I'm saying if you've decided that this is your church home, we belong to each other. Both my children and my wife are here this morning. And our family, we're there for each other. We belong to each other. We get to live life in front of each other in a way that we don't get to around most. We get to show all the bumps and bruises because they can't get rid of each we can't get rid of each other. You see the they see the worst of their father. Stuff that would probably make you really upset that you go to our church. uh, And I see the worst of them. This is what family is. And we're called to a same gathering as a church community. We're said, we're we're not supposed to be these individuals boiling through, you know, just bowling through the world. We're supposed to find and know and reflect the glory of Jesus in all that we do together. 
And one of the things that we do is we belong to each other. I continue reading, forgive me. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's to give generously, then if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The church, by definition, is, organiz- is an organization. It's an organism. And as I mentioned before, the problem is when there's dysfunction. When you think of your own body or the body of a friend, uh, a, a body that is functioning well is something enjoyable. It is the disease and injury that make it difficult and oftentimes will make life intolerable for some. A body that has something that is dying or something that is painful. A dysfunction in the church has done that to many. They've said, I don't want to be a part of the church. It's dysfunctional. They've said, I don't want to be a part of organized religion because I see so much disunity. Or in many cases, people are saying, I don't have great gifts. I'm not a super prophet, or I'm not a musician, or I'm not a hipster. And so I feel like I'm dissed. I just, my gifts don't matter here. And, and what I have come to believe is that if, if the church would be healthy, it is organized. There's no way around that. But at the same time, there's a healthiness to its organism. There's a healthiness to the body. And people begin to think and act in ways that they understand that collectively we show Jesus to the culture around us. I love what the apostle wrote to the Ephesians. He said, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are going to begin elder training in earnest next week. And one of the things that I will tell the men who are going to lead our church in the years ahead is the most important thing that they can do is be kind and get along with one another. I mean, now, now they've got to be theologically responsible. They've got to uh, shepherd and care for people well. They've got to pray their brains out. But the only thing, and I know this from personal experience, the only thing that brings down a church is disunity amongst its leaders. I don't say that from not having experience. I've had to be a part of a church that was closed. And the reason it was closed is because as leaders, even if it's just one, didn't have the capacity to reconcile and forgive And they can create a bloody mess. So for all of us, we're called to say, there has to be a premium put on keeping peace in the church, which means, and I don't want to offend you, but hey, it's my job at times. means that you have to start giving up the post-church evaluation of worship. What'd you think? How was the music? 
I can take it. I've been getting beat up for my sermons being too long or too short or too shallow or too heavy for 20 years. But I'm saying, you know, one of the ways that churches can practically start experiencing the joy of just being together is by being very careful, as the scripture would say. Make every effort to keep unity in the church through the bond of peace. So what if the music was too loud, too soft, too heavy on guitar? What? So what? So what? So the music isn't exactly what you like. Is that what church is for you? Is that what church is for me? No, we're called to be unified in an effort to glorify Jesus. Did that happen? I believe so. So I don't really care if the music is not my style. And at 49, most of the time it's not. That's why Brooks leads the worship. You know how bad it would be if I did? It would be stuff from the 80s and passion music from the first CD, and you all would be like, oh, Lord, really? The gospel spurs in all of us, according to this passage, a compulsion to be humble and gentle. It spurs a humility that will cause all of us to see this in correct proportion. And this is what we will see. We are, at the same time, necessary for the body to function, but not so vitally important that we are to be given special honor compared to others. I want to say that one more time because it's really important for you to get from this passage. You are vitally important to the health of our church, but you are not so vitally important that you're going to be given special honor compared to everybody else. We can't function unless everybody's using their gifts. But when a person or a group of individuals think they are more important than the body, we've got problems. As for PRISM's vision of renewing culture, we believe we'll do that collectively as a unified and healthy body. But our body's head is Jesus. We serve at his direction, which is given to us by the scriptures and by the collective wisdom of our leaders. But one thing we know for sure is that if God should bless our congregation with abundant resources, we will be a channel for those resources and not a reservoir. They are going to flow through us like light through a prism. They're going to come in one side, and they're going to go out the other. And if our church becomes this place that's a reservoir, if we are uh, a, a framework that light comes into but doesn't produce a lot of rainbow on the other side, if we do that, we cease to be a functionally healthy church. Prism Church is going to be a pass-through. I have from time to time referred to myself as Reverend Doty from the movie Hoosiers. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please allow me to explain. One of my favorite movies is Hoosiers. Hoosiers is a great film about basketball in the Midwest. And in basketball in the Midwest, everything uh, surrounds kind of this communal experience. And in the movie Hoosiers... There was a pastor, Reverend Doty, whose son played on the team, and every year to support the team, what he would do is paint their church bus the color of the school and then actually drive them to and from the games. I did that when I was a youth pastor. The little bus that we had, well, when we got it, at first it was white, and then we painted it blue, 
and everybody called it the Smurf bus, and that didn't work so well for everybody concerned. And so uh, I began to coach JV basketball. I was an assistant coach uh, for the varsity, and then I was assistant too with JV. But, uh, and the school that was, the new school that was near our, our, our church didn't have uh, the money or the transportation budget to buy a bus. And so I said, how about I drive and save you all some bucks? And so our church actually paid for the gas and, and we painted the bus green, uh, Timberwolf green. That was the name of the particular school. And, and I functioned in a role of serving. Now, we did this because the elders who had previously said, why would we do that to help others, had moved on. And we were grateful for that. Because in many ways, the use of the bus to drive the high school team was a series of opportunities that were presented to our church to serve others. And what happened as a response to that is our church began to see an outpouring of blessing. We began to minister in ways that we had never experienced. Hundreds of students were starting to come. And it was birthed out of a spirit of generosity that a new band of elders and leaders had come along to say, you know what? We're going to believe the Spirit of God has called us to give more than receive. And it is a good thing. We are in good territory when we say, our youth pastor is doing something for others that it, he could be taking that 10 hours a week and pouring it into our kids, but the fact that he's out there doing something for others will in the end produce more fruit in our ministry. And about the time I left to plant a church out of that particular congregation, they gave this bus to another congregation. It is today being used by Bethel Assembly of God's Youth Group in Greensboro, Florida, They sent this plaque, which will be probably difficult for you to see, but the plaque itself has a picture of the bus. This little assembly of God church in the middle of the forest wrote to Wildwood Church and said, Bethel Assembly of God Youth Group in Greensboro, Florida says, God bless you, Wildwood Presbyterian Church, for being his vessel. Remember this. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Our church is called to be a means of blessing to our community. That's what being part of renewing culture is. It's what you do individually and what we do collectively so that people will see the majesty and glory of Christ and know that he wants them to follow him and know and enjoy him too. Let's pray together.